Welcome to the ECCN podcast. I'm your host, Tony Clem, and today we're looking at climate change, but from a slightly different angle. We've all visited museums. We know what art museums and history museums look like, but what does a museum look like that focuses on climate and climate change? What exactly does it do, and who works there? My guest today and the person to help us answer these questions is Dr. Dilshani Pereira, an anthropologist and postdoctoral fellow for climate and inequality at the New York City Climate Museum. We recorded this conversation in late October, just before the U.S. presidential election. Welcome to the podcast, Dilshani. Um, Before we dive into your work at the Climate Museum, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. Um, yeah. So as, as you mentioned, I am the Mellon Foundation Postdoctoral Fellow in Climate and Inequality at the Climate Museum. Um, and before that, I was completing a doctoral degree in anthropology at Stanford University. Um, so, you know, so I wear a few different hats. Um, I'm an anthropologist and a writer um, and a researcher, as well as a museum professional. And um, yeah, I'm currently based in Oakland, California. Your dissertation was related to weather and climate, right? It's not a coincidence that you ended up at the Climate Museum. Could you talk just briefly how your background in anthropology and your dissertation and the direction you took led you to working at the Climate Museum? Definitely, yeah. So I um, I did my fieldwork research in Bangladesh on questions of exactly this climate and weather Um, because I was really interested in trying to understand how it is that people um, in Bangladesh are dealing with climate change as it's unfolding in the present day, but then also how people have um, understood weather uh, in a longer historical perspective, right? Because this is a place in the world that is a deltaic nation, so the problem of water um, and flooding uh, changes seasonally with the monsoon, but then also in the interstitial seasons between the monsoon, um, you see cyclones forming in the Bay of Bengal almost constantly. And so whether or not they make landfall is, is something of um, periodic concern. And uh, so, I, so I was interested in understanding um, these kind of seasonal shifts in weather and the seasonal danger that accompanies different weather formations um, and how that intersects with contemporary concerns about climate change. So um, yeah, so I, I conducted my fieldwork research there doing long-term ethnographic uh, work with um, state meteorologists in the capital city in Dhaka and uh, with coastal farming families in the Southwest coastal zone, uh, which is a, a agricultural area. So, um, so it was really fascinating to to spend a lot of time with people who are thinking about weather and, and predicting weather in these two different kinds of frames um, day to day, but, but also thinking about longer histories of dispossession, of land use change, um, and, and how the weather has been a political uh, formation just as much as it, as it is atmospheric, right? So, so thinking about climate and inequality has been part of my trajectory for a long time. And so that's also what brought me to the museum and, and even just seeing the call for someone who is specifically focused on climate change as well as inequality um, immediately drew my attention. Yeah, so I was uh, 
very interested in the fact that, you know, on one hand, that a climate museum exists um, in the first place, and, um, and that this particular framing of thinking about the crisis, um, the climate crisis as part of a nested um, series of crises, right, that demand our attention and that demand engagement um, is something that was very exciting to me. So, so I think that's the, that's the kind of through line in my own trajectory in um, you know, the past decade, I guess. Um, and then part of the excitement of working at the museum too. That's fascinating. The Climate Museum is not what most of us would think of as a museum, like a physical building with, you know, permanent exhibit space, display cases, archive, all those things. Can you explain the Climate mu climate Museum as a concept and, and what it is, what we have to imagine? So as a museum, um, we don't yet have a physical space, but I think that is the, the sort of eventual goal. Um, to uh, to have uh, a space where people can gather together in person, and of course that has been um, upset a bit by uh, by COVID, by the pandemic, by the kind of uh, you know the realities of the present moment, right? Um, but but the museum has had different kinds of instantiations um, in New York City um, in different ways. So we've had exhibitions, um, and I can get into this. Uh, more later as well, but um, we've had exhibitions, we've had programs in public space, we've um, gone to different schools and um, and institutes, right, to um, to do uh, some of our programming work. So um, that flexibility is something that is really interesting to um, be able to pivot to under COVID conditions as well, right? Because we've had to, we're a relatively new museum, right? We're just celebrating our fifth um, fifth birthday this year, and um, and have been uh, hosting exhibitions and programs um, probably for the past three years more intensively. So, yeah. So the fact of not having a permanent exhibition space or sort of a a larger, um, you know, a, the grand hall um, that defines you know some of some of the other museums that. Um, you know, we enjoy going to uh, has has served us in, in the strange way very well under COVID because we've had to think about okay, how do we pivot to um, platforms that are uh, entirely online and for you know at least a, at least a year. So that's how we're thinking about programming right now. But the other thing I'll say about this is um, the mission of the museum is to inspire a culture for action on the climate crisis. So um, really thinking about how to bring people together and welcome people into that conversation um, is, uh, is what we um, surround all of our programming. It, it's at the heart of all of our programming. So going from this mission of your museum, do you have, can you talk about a few examples of, of exhibits of programming that you do that, that serve your mission? So I, I would say that, um, you know, as, as an activist museum as well, we're kind of openly an activist museum. Um, we, all of our programming, whether it's um, youth programming, whether it's um, a discussion event, whether it's a conversation um, or an exhibition, all of it has an orientation toward action. So we really want to empower people who, who see our exhibits, who attend our events to, to feel like, you know, they have um, the ability to, uh, you know, in uh, after afterward, they'll be able to take action. 
um, in some way, right? And and in whatever way that they feel comfortable. And, and that action um, is something that we're defining as uh, oriented toward civic engagement and the collectivity, right? And so, so that's a little bit different than how um, some other engagements with climate might be framed, right? So it's different than individual consumer action. We're really wanting people to think about the communities that they're a part of um, and the way that they can begin talking about climate change um, and the climate crisis and the urgency of it within their own communities, um, as well as, you know, petitioning their representatives, um, you know, being engaged in political action in that way, um, thinking about even, you know, um, the banks that uh, they're banking with, uh, thinking about the, the organizations that they might want to join um, and how to push those forward uh, in ways that can address uh, climate. Climate and climate change are nothing new in science and art exhibitions. For example, in 2008-2009, the Deutsches Hygienemuseum Dresden in Germany hosted a nine-month science exhibition whose German title roughly translates into Two Degrees, the Weather, Humans, and Their Climate, that focused on the science of climate change and how our actions can increase climate extremes and natural disasters. In 2013, 15, and 17, the National Weather Center in Norman, Oklahoma, and the Fred Jones Jr. Museum of Art at the University of Oklahoma hosted three international art competitions that focused on, quote, the impact of weather on the human experience. And in 2015, 16, and 18, the Museum of Northwest Art in Laconar, Washington, hosted Surge, a collaboration of scientists, artists, and indigenous tribes to express through art the impacts of climate change on the Pacific Northwest. The New York City Climate Museum also uses art and science, but takes it a little bit further. It seems that the Climate Museum is not, is not as much of a space that you go to to learn about climate change or to get inspired by but it's more of a platform for communication. Is that is that a good description? Uh, that, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I would say that we're a platform for communication, but also um, one that has had different uh, different exhibitions that do have that kind of in-person instantiation. So I'll, I'll describe a few um, that have happened. So, so the first one, um, kind of the first ever exhibit, the inaugural exhibit for the museum was called Inhuman Time. Um, and that was a real look at um, just the, the long history of the Anthropocene and the place of humans within that. So um, there was incredible artwork that was part of that exhibition as well as, um, as, well as science communication. And, and that was at, um, it was hosted at Parsons, um, uh, the School of Design at the New School. And um, so we're very grateful to Parsons for, um, for also being a home for that, um, that first uh, exhibit that we had. So that, that was you know, the kind of um, exhibition, I think similar to um, what you described. Um, and so, so from that exhibition in, uh, in 2018, um, the, the next one um, uh, in kind of conversations um, that emerged at the Climate Museum, there was the, the desire to be able to engage New York City um, and different publics in New York City uh, in new ways. So, um, so we partnered with uh, the artist, Justin Bryce uh, Guariglia, who, um, who created this exhibition called Climate Signals. And, and so that involved 
um, solar powered road signs, so like the, the giant uh, traffic road signs that, that you see you know, flashing um, if, uh, if you drive on city streets, you know, saying that there's construction, et cetera. But, but instead of having those kinds of messages, um, they were solar powered and, um, and had uh, communication about climate. Right. Um, and uh, and uh, I think there were 10 different um, uh, 10 different statements that would cycle through different languages, um, including uh, Mandarin, Russian, English, Spanish, um, French. And um, uh, and so that was really fascinating because they were located around the five boroughs of New York City. So um, so that that kind of, you know, taking the museum outside of the four walls as well allowed for programming to happen in each of these um, in each of the boroughs uh, in these in these different contexts and then and also to to kind of drive up curiosity right because you might um, encounter one of these climate signals um, signs just by walking down the sidewalk or going into a park um, and so that kind of uh, like the the possibility of ch a chance encounter happening and um, and people then talking to you know meeting a climate scientist um, in front of these signs was um, was really fascinating so um, so yeah so that's another kind of instantiation of, of the museum outside of um, maybe um, the spaces that we might think a museum or we might imagine a museum to exist in and then the other thing um, that I'll say is that the most recent exhibition um, that we had last year was called uh, Taking Action, and that was hosted on Governor's Island um, in New York. So um, uh, in, the, in the Nolan House of Governor's Island. And, and that was really kind of the, the event that launched um, the Climate Museum as this space um, that's purposefully inspiring uh, visitors to, to both learn about the climate crisis and to feel empowered, to feel like a, a real sense of empowerment and possibility in how they might uh, take action. So that, that was kind of spatialized among the different rooms uh, within that house on Governor's Island. And Governor's Island Trust has been a collaborator and a partner um, with us, um, kind of providing us a home for six months out of the year. Awesome. Could you talk a little bit about who is behind the Climate Museum um, and what what kind of you know professions and, and fields that people work in that are that are coming up with these ideas that are really fascinating? So the Climate Museum was founded by our director Miranda Massey, um, kind of in response to to her thinking after Hurricane Sandy. Um, she was living in New York and experienced Sandy. Um, but she had also had uh, a career, a long career as a civil rights attorney. Um, and so had been thinking about civil rights issues, racial justice, um, environmental justice for, for a long time. And um, following Hurricane Sandy, started looking to see whether a museum existed that was dealing with climate change, that was engaging with climate um, in, in any particular way. And, um, and really at, at that time there, I think there was only um, uh, one museum, which was uh, like a room in Hong Kong that, um, that was dedicated to climate change. And, and since uh, the Climate Museum opened five years ago, there, there have been a few others that, um, uh, that have, uh, have come up, have been launched. Miranda Massey works with a board of trustees that spans a number of fields from climate science and law to architecture and design. For example, 
The board includes Maxine Burkett, law professor at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, Joel Powers, executive dean at the Parsons School of Design, and Cynthia Rosenzweig, director of the Climate Impacts Group at NASA's Goddard Space Institute and senior scientist at Columbia University's Earth Institute. Miranda Messi works with a board of trustees that spans a number of fields, from climate science and law to architecture and design. The board includes Cynthia Rosenzweig, director of the Climate Impacts Group at NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies and senior scientist at Columbia University's Earth Institute, Maxine Burkett, law professor at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and Joel Powers, executive dean at the Parsons School of Design. It's really fantastic. You know, having um, a, a team that works close together and, um, and the, the kind of visionary leadership that Miranda represents too. Awesome. You just mentioned that you don't really have a physical space yet and that during COVID, that's not really a disadvantage as we, as we all know. Um, how have your activities and your programs changed because of COVID and how did you adapt to COVID? That's, that's a fantastic question. Yeah, I uh, joined the museum um, form, formally during, during COVID. So, so I know the museum kind of through the interface of the, the computer screen um, in a large way. But I think one of the advantages of being, um, uh, being small and relatively new is that we, and, and, and also one of the advantages of thinking about um, the climate crisis and you know, keeping up to date on the way that public discourse is shifting and wanting to be really responsive to that. It really feels like you know, every, every week, every few months, um, the, the positioning is changing, the kind of awareness, public awareness is growing, which is fantastic. So um, yeah, so um, the pivot that was required um, because of COVID was something that I think um, for, for a lot of my colleagues who had been working um, at the museum in, in real space um, felt very natural because, you know, it's, um, it's something where you're constantly iterating on the, um, the ideas that, that you have, the exhibitions and the programs that have gone before. So, um, so you know, working through those challenges was something that I think um, everyone felt equipped to do together. And so, yeah, so, so the, in the shift to online, we've continued to have programs. We've had panel discussion events, conversations um, that have been hosted online. Um, yeah, I, and we have a, a kind of slate of online programming that, um, that is coming up for 2021 as well. But we've, we've been able to have um, like a youth internship program over the summer um, that uh, was, was actually global in reach, um, which is something that we couldn't have necessarily had um, had it been in, in person. So we're really trying to, um, you know, to hold on to the, the unexpected connections and, um, you know, the positive aspects of um, the situation that, you know, is... Um, it is filled with uncertainty, right? Yeah. Early career researchers often have, have a hard time speaking about their work or promote action on climate change um, or, or climate policies because they're afraid that it might hurt their scientific credibility or that they would get caught in some political crossfire. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And do and you think scientists should speak out more 
uh, especially climate scientists, should speak out more about their work and how it's maybe misconstrued in in public in a public discourse. Yeah, I think I think it's such an exciting time actually to be an early career researcher who's working on climate right now, because I think public discourse has really. Um, changed in, in sort of leaps and bounds, even from the time that I started graduate school to the present, even it feels like, you know, two weeks ago, we couldn't have necessarily imagined a candidate for presidential office in the US saying that um, climate change is the number one issue facing humanity, right? We, we couldn't have imagined someone to say, saying that so clearly, um, which Joe Biden did in the debates um, uh, a week ago. So, um, so I feel that space is really opening up um, in terms of, of being able to take, um, you know, to be explicit about one's position, to be bold in, um, uh, in expressing one's commitments as well. And, and I think it, the leadership is coming from, uh, from different, uh, different arenas, right? We see youth activists um, very clear on um, their politics, the fact that the climate justice movement has to be an intersectional um, movement for justice, um, and and thinking about uh, the the excite like the exciting ways to engage um, this conversation, it, and the conversation being one that has um, different points of entry, right? So um, the other thing that I'll say is that. Um, uh, the the Yale Center for uh, the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication um, recently published uh, uh, their most their most recent demographic study, um, which which revealed that seventy two percent of Americans um, believe in global warming. You know, think think that it's happening and are concerned to alarmed about that. Like of of that seventy two percent, more than fifty percent are either concerned or alarmed about. Uh, the crisis. So I think that's something that when I first uh, first learned that statistic, it was very surprising to me because it doesn't necessarily break down along partisan lines as well. Um, and so and so this is also part of what we are thinking about and talking about at the museum, um, because though 70, um, 72% of Americans are, um, are engaged, right? Um, most of them report that they're not sure what to do, right? And so as, as a climate museum that's oriented toward inspiring action, um, we're really trying to invite people in to say, you know, there are a number of things that are possible to do. Um, and so even at the museum, we have a, a tool that we've developed um, based on um, the Yale program's guidance um, that's called the Climate Ambassador Card. And it's something for we host trainings about that, and and it's something for anyone at any stage in their kind of journey um, about climate to to access and um, to be able to begin their own um, communications about the climate crisis. So, um, so just to go back to your your question as well, um, yeah, I, I I think there's space for early career researchers to um, to feel. A real sense of possibility and um, and to be bold in in the way that they're framing questions and asking questions and um, it's it's an exciting time. If you enjoyed this episode of the ECCN podcast, please leave a review and make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and now also on Amazon Music.
when you were in grad school, did you plan on working at a museum after grad school? And do you have any advice for people that are that are looking for work outside of academia, maybe in museums or in the museum field? That's such a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, for for me personally, I um, I knew that I was interested in um, in you know these particular elements of of teaching, of research, um, being able to you know communicate to the public uh, and to do advocacy, and and so so museums were on my radar um, in, in a kind of more abstract way. Um, I, I was definitely open to the possibility of, of working at one. Um, but yeah, but for, for people who, um, who are interested in, um, in kind of making that journey um, into the museum world, I, I, maybe, this, maybe this isn't so much advice um, and it might sound a bit generic, but, um, but I really, I encourage people to follow their interests, right? And, and to kind of get a sense of the discourse that's happening within, um, you know, if it's the museum world, then to, you know, follow people on Twitter, to, um, to read writing about exhibitions, to attend um, museum exhibitions in whatever capacity, you know, that might be limited by COVID, but, um, but there's a lot of online programming that's going on now and, and a new kind of access to online programming as well, I think. so. Um, so there's there's that kind of um, possibility in in a space that might otherwise feel more constrained, right? And um, yeah, and I guess it, to also just to talk to people who um, similar to the conversation that we're having, right? To um, to talk to people who seem uh, to be doing interesting work and to to get involved. So you know to um, to follow institutions and organizations that um, they might be interested in. Does the Climate Museum have any concrete programs or, or opportunities for graduate students or early career professionals to get involved in museum work and uh, related to climate and climate change? Yeah, so, so we, um, we offer a, a college internship program each semester. So that, that doesn't necessarily help um, graduate students and early career researchers, but, um, but certainly if uh, if anyone is interested, um, uh, anyone in your audience is interested in in talking further, I am always happy to um, to meet with and to discuss um, the work at the museum and and to kind of help think through some of those um, some of those questions because I know there's a lot of uncertainty um, currently just with respect to um, what's what's happening <laughs> in terms of the way that COVID and um, the global pandemic um, and the current political climate is um, is affecting possibilities of um, engagement but I think um, I think new new possibilities are, are also being generated um, in new ways so so I think also that um, just to go back to the point about accessibility that that people are able to um, to connect in ways that um, might not have been possible in person right. I would assume that your postdoc is temporary. Um, what are your plans for after this? I hate to say it, but where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. So I so I just said that you know we're mired in uncertainty, and uh, that includes it, it includes me. So uh, so my postdoc is two years long, um, and uh, and I feel really grateful to be part of this um, organization and to be part of the Climate Museum and its communities. Um, 
I, I think just going back to what I mentioned before, right, being able to um, find a space in which um, teaching and research and writing and um, uh, having that being aligned with uh, a certain kind of um, advocacy and activism is a space that I would like to inhabit in five years. Um, I would love to continue working um, within museum space because I think there's there's a dynamism, there's, a, there's um, an ability to uh, be able to respond to also the incredible changes that we're seeing in the contemporary moment. Um, I, I always like to think about, you know, historians looking back on this time and, and just being able to say like, oh, there, there have been so many changes that have happened month to month, um, you know, year to year, certainly, um, that, you know, it'll be a, a rich archive to draw on. And um, yeah, so I, I also hope to to look back on this time and um, and feel uh, feel similarly. Great. Just to to finish, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. So um, I would really encourage your audience um, to to visit us at the Climate Museum. We're uh, we're at climatemuseum.org, and then on all of the social media um, at at Climate Museum. And um, and sign up for our newsletter. That's that's the uh, the most sure way that you'll be um, the most up to date on the programming that we have coming up uh, in 2021, which we'll be announcing um, later this year. And it's a lot of exciting things that uh, are coming online that you'll be able to access from any time zone. So um, so that should be great. And yeah, and and I also I I do um, when. Uh, when people approach me and, and ask me about graduate school um, and whether you know whether and how to apply and, and advice about that, I I always like to say this, and I think it's it's broadly applicable that um, you know being able to build a community wherever you are is is so important, and I feel that that's really the way to be able to successfully address um, the the multiple kinds of crises that that we're facing in the contemporary moment. So really. Um, being able to invest in that sense of community and um, and those relationships, I think, is what will will get us through in in a successful way. And that's it for this episode of the ECCN podcast. Thanks for listening, and many thanks to Dilshani Pereira for taking time to chat with us. You can find links to the resources and programs you mentioned in the description of this episode and on the Climate Museum website at www.climatemuseum.org. You can learn more about Dilshani and her work at www.dilshaniperera.com. We hope you tune in again next time for another episode of the ECCN podcast. And until then, stay safe and healthy. For the Early Career Climate Network, I'm Tony Clem.